This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture. On the show, you'll hear from farmers who've survived challenges like fire, flood and drought, farmers who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and farmers who are balancing work and family in rural Australia. You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm your host, Annie Herbert. Alongside me, Matt Hour. Today, we're chatting with Neil Seaman. Neil is a fifth-generation wool grower on his family's 2,000-acre property, Rosemont, located near Crookwall in New South Wales. Alongside his father, Neil runs 4,000 Merino ewes, producing fine micron wool. In this episode, you'll hear how proud and optimistic Neil is about the future of Australia's wool industry, why he believes rural Australia is the place to live, and how his time on the reality TV show, Farmer Wants a Wife, has given him a platform to help close the gap between city and country. Let's jump in. So thanks, Neil. Thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on. No problems. Obviously, Australia more popularly knows you as or from your time on Farmer Wants a Wife, but we're really excited to get to know what you do on your property and about your farming operations. So can you tell us about your family property? Yeah, no problems. So my father and I run Rosemont together. Rosemont is 820 hectares, say a bit over 2,000 acres plus change, is the main sort of property, granite-based sort of country. Then we lease another block, which is about 80 hectares or 200-odd acres, and, and that's sort of where we run our cull use sort of over a terminal operation and get our fat lambs there. Average rainfall in the area would be somewhere around the sort of 25, 26 inches. That average went up a hell, hell of a lot last year. We had a fairly good year last year, season-wise. And we run somewhere in the vicinity of, give or take, around 4,000 merino sheep and 100 head of cattle. Yeah, great. And is that the property that you grew up on? So we actually live in town in Crookwell. It's only about a 15-minute drive. And while there is a, a house on the property, it's it's very old and dilapidated. So we travel out to, to the shed, to the block every day, yeah. It's beautiful country out that way. But, you know, in your younger years, you did make the decision to leave the property. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what brought you back in the end? I was, I was thinking about this, you know, I've thought about this a lot over the last sort of 12 months or so. I remember when I left school, one of the teachers sort of asked me, what are you going to do? What do you want to do? And I think my reply was something along the lines of, I just don't want to be like dad. I just don't want to be forced back onto the place and just be a farmer till the day I die. I, there's more to me than that. I, I said, I, I want to try. I want to go out and do stuff. That was where my head was at. I was only 17, played a bit of football. I moved to Canberra with some mates. It was, it was, I, I was always sort of going job to job, never anything super serious, never anything sort of massively career-based. Every year I'd be back to help at shearing time and landmarking and, <laughs> you know, any other big jobs. I'd be the first phone call and I'd always sort of put off what I was doing and come back, whether I'd be in Sydney or Canberra or wherever. And then I suppose there was a lot of reasons too. Like there for about 10 years, I think after about 10 years, I sort of really wanted to come back. But middle of drought and there wasn't, the markets weren't crash hot. 
I mean, I was sort of married with three kids at that stage. There was no way that the place could have carried, you know, two families. What was one of the real sort of nails in the coffin for me to come home? I mean, I was working at Macquarie Bank and I had a great job and everything was going fantastic. Mum and Dad or Rosemont, we won the Bendigo has a show every year, it's the Australian Sheep and Wool Show, and we won Fleece of the Year in 2016. First commercial enterprise who's ever beat the studs. And there was a photo of Dad got circulated through the land and through fairly worldwide, and he was skirting a, a fleece of wool on a table with my first cousin. And I'm like, why is that not me? Why am I not in that photo? Like, And it, it just sort of resonated with me. I'm like, that's where I should be. Like we're not we're not great talkers, the males in our family. It took me a couple of years to work up the courage to sort of talk to Dad about it. And it's about 2017, 2018, we we just had the conversation. And at the same time, the markets were great. Still no water, but but the the markets had turned a little bit, and it really looked like it was time for me to come back. Dad wanted to sort of do less for a lot of reasons, and made the decision, and we come to the arrangement. I'm at the point now where after nearly four years of being flat out full time. I just couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. I look back on what I did for those years and the and the positions I held and the companies I worked for and they're all fantastic and I've made some amazing friends and had some fantastic experiences, but they've kind of all just been leading me back to where I am now. Yeah, great. So it's almost as if having that time away from the property enabled you to appreciate it and realise what it was that you wanted to do. Absolutely, 100%. I say that when people ask me about Crookwell and about the farm, I say it isn't until you move away that you get a full appreciation of just how good it is on that place or, or you know, in a, in a community like Crookwell. Neil, the wool industry is obviously something that you're pretty passionate about and you are our first wool grower on the podcast. Can you tell us why you're so passionate about it? Like what's special about the wool industry? Yeah, a few things. I think wool itself is an amazing fibre. It's unique. It heats, it cools. It, it looks fantastic when you open it up on a sheep or when you when you see it thrown across a table or when I walk past a show and you see a really nice, lustrous, well-nourished fleece. It just, it just looks good. So useful. I mean, you go from everything from carpet to a, a fine wool Italian 12 micron suit i mean it's 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 so universally skilled i think one of the other things that i really like about the wool industry and the, or say the sheep and wool industry is that australia are, are big players in it australia represent nearly a quarter of the of the wool industry across the world and and i'm I've, i consider myself to be a really patriotic guy uh, it wouldn't matter if australia was playing Sri Lanka in a tiddlywinks competition, I'd be cheering for Australia. <laughs> so so the fact that it's such a iconic sort of role uh, within within Australia, I, I really like to be able to call myself a sheep farmer. And, and apart from that, I think the other reason is that shearing and shearers, it's one of the hardest jobs in the most respectful roles that, that you can have. And, and, and it's just so much fun to be around a shearing shed. There's a hell of a lot of hard work that, that gets the sheep ready for that day, week or month. But I'll tell you what, it's all, it's worth it after you crack a beer at the end of a day in a shearing shed, you know you've done a day's work. 
I think that's really well put. And you did touch on briefly there around the importance of wool to the Australian economy. And I'm also interested in how you see it complementing other industries, in particular prime lamb, for example. I think the junction between particularly merino wool, I mean, like when you talk wool, you've nearly got to talk merino wool because there's sort of British breeds or the shedders, there's just, there's just not the value there. But if you're talking merino wool, it's worth it to Australia. It's, it's, it's three point something billion dollars a year in exports. It's, it's not the sort of thing that you can just go, oh, look, let's just not worry about that. It's always going to be there. And, and even if we were to be able to overnight double our output, China would still want it or the places that we export to would still want it. I mean, there's just that bigger demand for the, for the product. When I talk about the link between merinos and prime lamb, I think it's kind of a common sense thing. What's wrong with this picture? You know, you, you join a, a merino you to a merino ram one year, you know, you get a merino progeny, uh, you get a merino fleece, that's all great. That merino progeny can then be put over a terminal sire, say, and this is putting this whole thing in fast forward, then you put that merino progeny over a Dorset or a Border Leicester or, or a terminal sire and, you, and your first cross lamb there is a prime lamb. What you've got essentially is like in, in two generations there, you've got the ability to sell wool, the ability to sell prime lamb and the ability to sell mutton. I mean, it's there's three checks. It's a no-brainer. They, they, they just work well together. I mean, you throw in, you throw in two or three paddocks worth of Hereford cattle and, and there's four checks infrastructure and the in the industry requirements don't vary that much between i mean there's skills and 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 that associated with each one but you still need to shear uh, a dorset or a a border lester you still need to drench a hereford bull or a hereford steer or heifer you know they still need to calf or they still need to lamb and you still need to apply the same amount of care to each one so like the skills all cross over so i think the link is kind of a common sense link there wouldn't be too many pure merino operations now that don't either trade lambs or breed prime lambs as well some now on almost a 50 50 basis and the whole thing is it's all about having that bite of the cherry with the wool having that bite of the cherry with the prime lamb and then at the end of the day you've got that mutton to sell as well they really are that that sort of ultimate multi-purpose animal you put it really well like what about from the last 12 months perspective you did mention the season's been been pretty good from a seasonal conditions point of view but but what about other happenings in the world and and COVID I guess being the prime one yeah there's three aspects to the last 12 months in the sheep and wool game one being season I mean if we were to put an order in at the start of the year and say this is what we'd like to happen on each day of each week of each month and make up a year of it, particularly in the tablelands in the area I'm from, we pretty much would have ordered what we've had in the last 12 months or even 13, 14 months because it's still going. Lots of rain, good sunny conditions around it, not that many really bad windy days. Seasonally, it's been favourable. The second part after season would be market. So both prime lamb and mutton and beef have all been sky high. Wool's taken a bit of a hit. From a COVID perspective, what about labour shortages? Has that impact your local 
wool industry? I won't put any sort of labour shortages directly down to COVID. There is a major shortage in our industry at the moment, and, and that is going to be felt more and more until a outcome is, has reached, and, and, and that's the shearer shortage. I suppose the main impact from that is that yeah. with COVID and the borders, none of the Kiwi shearers can come over to Australia. They were always the backstop of the sort of Australian industry. You know, there was always most shearing contract teams had one or two or three or four Kiwi blokes that they could sort of rely on to fill a squad or whatever, or, or sometimes more than that once you get into South Australia and Victoria. So without them, we've really felt the urgency of that situation to the point where some contractors will tell you they're two or three weeks behind, whereas essentially they might be two or three months behind. I've, I've known farmers who have sold pens of three, 400 weathers in full wool purely because they couldn't find shearers to get it off them. And, and, and mm. it gets to a stage when a sheep in summer, if, when it's in full wool and you can't get a shearer, it becomes a animal husbandry thing. If you, you can't stop flies from getting to that animal. So the best thing you can do is sell them. It's not good for the wool industry going forward. So that's been a major impact as far as COVID's concerned. Sure. And on the flip side of that, though, do you think that COVID has perhaps helped those in metro or city areas better understand the isolation that people in rural and regional communities can feel at times because of the restrictions? It's, you know, the first time that they've had, you know, these kind of restrictions placed on them. And, you know, quite often those in rural and regional communities, they don't have that readily available contact all the time with people. Yeah, but we're kind of okay with that too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, if we if we <laughs> want to be in contact, if, if we want to be in contact with people, there are always ways that you can initiate that contact. You know, we don't have to sit next to people on trains or planes or, or public transport or pretend we're not looking at someone or or have our eyes down in the street because we know everyone that we're walking past. Absolutely, and it's a great segue into you know you mentioned how great a location Crookwell is. Can you tell us a little bit more about why it is such a great community to be a part of? Look, Crookwell is a fantastic place and, and it's it's not until we live away from it in a, in a bigger city environment or even when you experience those fantastic cities around the world, do you appreciate the finer things, the finer details of a place like Crookwell? I mean, it's got all the facilities that you would ever need to be functional and happy in life, but none of the hardships and difficulties. You know, I I listen to Sydney radio most mornings and and I I often sort of smile and roll my eyes when the traffic report comes on and they'll talk about the M5 or the M2 being a car park. And I'm like, why on earth would, why on earth would you live in Parramatta and commute to to the city and spend an hour, 40 minutes of your day, of your life, stuck at traffic lights. I purposely have to travel 60 kilometres a day just because the kids are sort of at school here in Goulburn. So I sort of purposely have to travel to the to the farm every day. That's a decision I've made. I do it in 45 minutes. You know, and it's the best 45 minutes of the day. It's, it's, you know, there's no traffic. You're passing the same cars in the same places every day. You're waving at them all and they're waving at you. It's, it's, it's just a different sort of lifestyle. Crookle itself is, it's just full of great people. It is a fantastic location. As I said, it's 
there isn't too many spots that are within two hours of two international airports. I mean, there's your convenience factor there if you if you must travel to anywhere you want, or else you want to go. It does have what I would affectionately label an unpredictable climate, sort of unpredictable. I mean, we have incredibly hot summers and incredibly cold winters, but that doesn't mean that you can't have frost in November, snow in December, you know, a bright, sunny 25-degree day in May or June. We just like to keep you guessing as far as the climate's concerned. Great cafes, great gift and antique shops, bakeries, hospitals, doctors, schools, high school to public schools, preschool, great pubs, great clubs. And, and there's so many little villages in and around Crookwell. I mean, the population of Crookwell's somewhere a bit over 2,500 or 2,600. The villages around it, Trauga, Collector, Chawina, Binder, Lagan, Gravengullen, Bigger, Gunning, they're, they're, they're all sort of, they all make up, you know, the Upper Lachlan Shire and they're all just fantastic places. Crook was a place that's renowned for its sporting prowess, I suppose. It boasts, you know, rugby league stars, hockey stars. <laughs> Every town hangs itself on its sporting heroes. But, you know, we, we've got so many people who are fantastic sportsmen who have never actually pulled on a green and gold jersey, but they're just amazing sportsmen in their own right too. It offers the whole gamut. You've uh, sold it very well. I reckon you'll be keeping an eye on Crookwell House prices. They'll be heading up. <laughs> we don't want everyone moving all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, we don't want this sudden influx because we kind of like it the way it is at the moment. <laughs> Unless you're going to reopen one of the pubs, then you can, then, then you can move back to town straight away. <laughs> you'll, uh, you'll get a job as mayor, I reckon, Neil. You'll be prime candidate after this podcast. Uh, one other question i had for you neil how are you using your newfound following to benefit the industry and was it something of a surprise to you that people actually wanted to hear about farming after you went on farm once a while i don't think i have much of a following i mean if i compare myself to to harry or alex i don't think you consider what i've got as, as a following it's just that a show like farmer develops a following in itself and people just love being attached to it but i have really enjoyed having a bit of a voice and being able to spruik the benefits of rural life of of the sheep and wool industry of of a place like crookwell yeah it's 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 been great my main message is i just want to be positive about the bush i want people to know that sydney's a great place melbourne's a great place adelaide's fantastic they're, they're all awesome places to be but for me going to those places and being able to jump in the car or jump on a plane at the end of the day and come home to my little patch of the world here, hang around with the dog and 4,000 sheep, breathe fresh air and, and, and do a hard day's work. It's yeah, it's pretty salt of the earth. I think that's a, a brilliant quote to wrap the interview up on, Neil. And I think obviously got the feeling that you're very passionate about what you do and, and I really love your take on the wool industry and the community that is Crookwell. There's one final question that we ask all our guests and that's what brand of work boots do you wear redbacks redbacks that's yeah. a new one i think the, I we think, haven't had that well I, I, okay so the the boot questions are, is obvious one i've got three pairs of rm williams <laughs> but but they're the good boots they're the going out boots yeah yeah they're not the yard yeah boots. then i've got then i've got three pairs of redbacks that are the graded boots when you've got to <laughs> swim around in the dip or something you know that they don't see the light of day very much 
you've got your good going out day boots. They're the ones you wear sort of, you know, to and from the shop or whatever. And then you've got your sort of dusty boots for the yards. <laughs> uh, look, I challenge there to be anyone in the rural game who doesn't own a pair of RMs. They're, they're iconic and they're, they're sold to the earth. But from a work point of view, yeah, you, you, you put the steel caps on some days. Oh, that's great. Uh, thank you very much, Neil. Great interview. No worries. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Rural Bank. Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services, knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow. If you'd like more information about the topics we've discussed today, as well as links and other resources, we've added those to the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Annie Herbert. And I'm Matt Hour, and we'll chat to you next time.